0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. It's good to see It's great to hear you uh, just kind of greeting each other. I'll let that go on for 30 minutes, uh, but we got another service that's going to come in. And uh, it's good to have you here. I'm glad you, you gather with us this morning. I want to introduce you to someone who's Important to us as a church, especially important to me. His name is Armstrong. He is a Kenyan who is with Pays Kenya and he's actually serving in Rwanda right now and he sent me this short video. Now his accent is difficult, so at least you'll see his face, recognize him. Hopefully he's gonna be with us in the fall. And we also wanna be taking a trip to Rwanda. If that's something that kinda piques your interest. Uh, we're gonna be going there hopefully the end of this year, uh, maybe the beginning of next year. So if that's something you wanna be a part of, I would love to take you with me. I'm gonna be going myself. And so I wanna introduce you to Armstrong If we have that video loaded. Let's, let's roll it. Yeah, his accent is really difficult, as I said. <laughs> Very hard to understand. to us, we've been able to train churches in Western uh, Rwanda in missions and discipleship work and uh, we're also already building relationships with different churches in Rwanda because we want to help the churches be strong in missions and discipleship work and uh, help them strengthen their work among their children and teenagers because we need people in this country to know God. We're also working uh, with Burundi, we just recently came back from Burundi, where we met a Christian organization that is helping mobilize missionaries to reach Burundi for Christ. So please continue praying for us. There's a lot of opportunities here, especially to impact the children ministry and the youth ministry, which in my opinion have been neglected for a long time. But now we want to help churches take of their work among the children. Thank you and God bless you. So that is Armstrong. That was a lot. I know it's hard to hear. We're going to put it online. So if you want to listen to it, Armstrong started in Kenya with Pays Kenya, and he was so successful, he had a number of people step up in his place. Now he's in Burundi, he's in the Congo, and he's in Rwanda. And what he does is he disciples children because he thinks it's through the children that will change the nation. And actually, he has kids go out 12, 13 years old, and they share their faith with adults. And adults come to faith through the testimony of kids. And I don't know a missionary that works harder than Armstrong. And so pray for him. If you want to get involved in that, we'd love to plug you in. And if you're interested in going to Africa, uh, let's go. Let's do it together. Hey, this morning, we're going to be in Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians, but we're actually going to be in Psalms, chapter 34. And so if you want to turn there, but I want to start with Philippians. Because in Philippians 4, Paul gives us this, this vital promise. He says, The Lord is near, and therefore, because the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the questions I have this week is Do I believe that? Now, often I think I believe that when something happens in my life and it's not my fault. You know, I believe God wants to show up and address my anxiety when I haven't done anything wrong and maybe just some challenges have come in and I turn to God in prayer and he wants to meet me there. But, you know, God also wants to meet you in your anxiety when you've blown it. When you've messed up your life and horrible situations have come in and circumstances that you have created, God, this prayer is also, God wants to address the brokenness in our life. Now how do I know that? I know that because of Psalm 34. That in Psalm 34, David is in a situation on the one hand that's outside his control because there's this other king named Saul who's trying to kill David. So David's on the run. But he also, while he's on the run, he makes a lot of stupid decisions. Anyone make stupid decisions when you're under pressure? Thank you. Thank you, Jim. That's me. I make a lot of stupid decisions when I'm under pressure, and yet God meets us and his presence shows up whether you failed or succeeded. To be righteous is not to get it right, it's to bring ourselves to the one who is right. We're gonna see that in David's life. Now, I wanna jump into this Psalm and I wanna start just with the introduction and to give you an idea of the setting and what's taking place. And here's how this Psalm is introduced to us. It says, "A Psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, I need to explain who's Abimelech. Abimelech is the king of the Philistines. Now, David is the Psalm writer And then the Philistines, King Abimelech, the Philistines and David don't get along. I don't know if you know why, but David kind of took off the head of their great hero, Goliath. When you kill somebody's hero, they tend not to like you. So David is in a situation where in his fear, he runs to a very foolish place. He runs to the Philistines. Now, why is he running? He's running because there is a hit song in his land. And the song goes like this. Saul is pretty good, but David rocks. Everybody's singing it. It actually says Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And everybody is singing this song, and David is becoming more and more and more popular, and Saul is becoming more and more suspicious, and because of that, he wants to kill David. So David is in an incredibly difficult situation. He's running from the king, And so he goes to a priest. Good place to start. He goes to this priest and says, Listen, I need help. I need resources. The priest feeds him and also gives him a sword. Now, the sword happened to be Goliath's sword. And so, where does David go with Goliath's sword? To Goliath's hometown. And the lights turned off. Next phase. And so David's now absolutely afraid because he is among the Philistines and he's assuming no one's gonna recognize him. But as soon as he gets there, one of the servants of the king says, hey, hey, that's the guy everybody's singing about. That's David. And look, he's got Goliath's sword. So David is an impossible situation. How do you get out of it? He pulls a John McClane. I don't know if you know John McClane. That's really dating us now. That's an old movie, Die Hard, right? There's this scene in Die Hard where John McClain is in a tough situation and this criminal, this crook says, I want you to go to Harlem. I don't know if you remember this. It's horrible. Go to Harlem. I want you to put on yourself this horrible word and I want you to stand there and see what happens. And John McClain does this and to escape the situation, you know what he does. Do you know what he does? Okay. It's too old. I'll, I'll let you know. If you haven't watched it yet, you, I'm kind of breaking the story. But he acts like He's nuts. He acts like he's insane because you don't want to mess with somebody who's crazy. Well, that's what David does. David's in this horrible situation and he just starts acting like he's nuts. And the king says, listen, I got enough crazy people in my life. And he kicks David off and he goes to this cave in this area called Adelam. And there he hides. And with him, all these men start to gather. Everybody who's got corrupt character and bad reputation start gathering in, but they're great warriors. And it's in this cave that we suppose that David wrote this psalm. And it was a time of tremendous fear, but also deep shame. Because he knows the only way he got here was by acting like a complete fool. And he brings his fear and his shame to God because the psalms are not for eloquent language. Now, when you read like the King James, I think if you read the King James, it's difficult to see the language of the Psalms because it's really written in very ordinary and plain language. But like in the King James, it all sounds very flourishing. And we think the way to pray to God is you gotta have this great language. You gotta have the keys to get into God's presence. And if I speak high and mighty, then I can meet the high and mighty. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is very ordinary and simple language, and it's honesty before God. One of my favorite resources that I have is this little book. It's called The Message of the Psalms. And it's a translation by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And the reason he translated the Psalms into ordinary language is to teach us how to pray. When you read the Psalms, you find out this is what desperate men and women, this is how they pray when they are afraid and they are anxious. And I'd encourage you to pick this up. And simply begin to pray the psalms back to God and you will find a language for your hurt, your fear, your difficulty. It teaches us how to pray. This is how Eugene Peterson captures, captures the heart of what the psalms are about. He says this, and I love this. He says, do you think these would be prayers of nice people? Do you think the, the psalmist's language would be polished and polite, untutored, We tend to think that prayer is what good people do when they're doing their best. It is not. Inexperienced, we suppose that there must be insider language that must be acquired before God takes us seriously in our prayer. There is not. Prayer is elemental. It's not advanced language. It is the means by which our language becomes honest, true, and personal in response to God. It is the means by which we get everything in our lives out in the open before God. This is what Psalm 34 is about. So let's turn there. Psalm 34, we're going to read through the entire passage. The word of the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. and delivers them O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man who takes refuge in him O oh, fear the Lord you saints for those who fear him have no lack young lions suffer want and hunger but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing Come O oh, children listen to me I will teach you the fear of the Lord what is what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction may slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, would you pray for me? And I'll, I'll pray for you. Let's pray. Wow, Father, I thank, you, uh, I thank you for this week, Father, the challenge of week after week walking through your word and yet experiencing the very things that I'm teaching on Sunday morning. It's so, it's so much easier, Father, just to teach religious platitudes than to speak out of the experience of the heart with God. But, Father, would you humble me and would you humble us would we hear your voice, and because of that, know what it means to find freedom and bringing our whole self to you. Father, teach us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So three parts we're gonna look at uh, in, this, in this psalm together. We're gonna divide it in three ways. The first section, verses one through 10, uh, David is talking about celebrating God. He simply, is gonna say, celebrate with me. The second aspect is learn from me, and then we're gonna finish with the story of the righteous. And find out who are the righteous. And I think the way David defines righteousness, it surprised me. And and hopefully it's going to surprise you. So this entire section is the result of an experience that David had in which God showed up in his life. And David makes a decision. He makes a choice. That in his fear and his shame, he would make much of God instead of making much of his fear. Often when we are afraid, I don't know if this is true for you, but it's certainly true for me, I make much of my fear. I magnify, I bless, I exalt. I lift it up, I talk about it. Last night I dreamed about it before I got up this morning. I had a dream last night that I was preaching. I had no Bible, I had no notes, and there was this one dude in the front row that was just dogging me, staring me down. And I thought to myself, all week long I was wrestling with this passage, and I was afraid. And then I have this dream in which fear is rising up in my heart. And the question is, am I gonna exalt that fear, to dwell on it, to live in it, or am I going to give it, not ignore it, but bring it to the one who longs to meet me in that place of fear. See, David's rejoicing in the beginning because he's done the hard work. He's done the hard work of bringing his shame, which means his limitations, and bringing his fear into the presence of God. And that's why he has the ability to rejoice and exalt. Because see, if you just try to exalt and you ignore your fear, it's gonna be fake. Can we say that? And sometimes we just need to exalt God. That's important just simply to be obedient. But if you don't address what's really going on in your life and you come into God's presence, and say, God, you're so exalted you're so beautiful, he's gonna say, you don't believe that, right? Because he sees into our hearts. He knows we're overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. You know what he wants us to do? Just acknowledge you're afraid, you're ashamed. Now exalt me in that place of fear and anxiety. That's where God wants to meet us. And that's what David does. That's where this language comes in. Verse one, bless the Lord. Notice it says at all times, which means in every situation. His praise shall be continually on my lips. We see this in the New Testament. Actually in Thessalonians five, Paul captures it this way. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, and do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now think about it. What causes us to quench or to grieve the Holy Spirit? What quenches the Holy Spirit is when we don't bring our whole self to God. When we bring platitudes, religious language, but we don't bring our self to God, it grieves the heart of God, because what God wants is not your fancy words, and your words aren't a key to open the kingdom of God and pour out his blessings. It doesn't work that way. What God wants is you. And when he says pray continually, whatever is going on in your life, bring it to me. Talk to me about it. Instead of just getting in your head, because we're all talking to someone, and it's usually us, right? You're in your head. And you're constantly talking, thinking through. He's saying, talk to me, bring it to me. David has learned to bring his fear and anxiety to God. And so he goes on in verse two. Notice he says, my soul boasts in the Lord. And so let the humble, the humble are those that are going through hard circumstances. So they're being humbled. Hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. Now, in terms of material possessions and life on earth, David could boast in himself. Because he had a hit song. Everybody around him was singing the song. Hey, Saul is great, but David is so much greater. Saul has killed his thousands. David's his tens of thousands. And also, David had this special anointing from God. Saul's not king, David. David, you are king. It would have been easy for David to take all the things that he had in his life and start talking about himself and make life about Saul and David. That's what we tend to do. We tend to make life against us versus them. David changes the narrative. It's not about us versus whoever your them is. It's about me, and more importantly, it's about God. I'm not gonna boast in myself. God, teach me to boast in who you are. I want my boast to be in you. And then he goes on, and he says, magnify the Lord with me. And to magnify means, to magnify means to make bigger. Now you can't make God bigger, but you can make your perception of God bigger. Just as we make our perception of our fear bigger when we focus on it and we start fear tripping and we start telling ourselves, hey, today's bad, but next week is gonna be terrible. Any of you there? and you start playing out your life, right? As if you're in control of the universe and you know what's coming in a month or two months and you're looking out one month, two months, and you're just overcome with fear and shame because you can't handle the situation which is coming, which isn't really real because you made it up in your head. Are you following me at all? I'm exhausted already. We magnify our troubles. We magnify our fear. David's saying, I wanna make my perception of God bigger. And in the bigness of God, I'm going to bring my fear to him. And notice in verse 3, he's saying, join me. Join me. Join me in my fear as I magnify God. Not just simply join me in my praise of God. That's one thing. But recognize this prayer is in a circumstance, a situation. David's in this cave. It's called this cave in Adullam. And he's got all these men around me. He's like, listen, guys, I'm afraid. I'm anxious. Let's worship together. Would you join me? See, it's one thing to praise God. It's another thing to be honest about why you're praising God. This is where I am. And see, that's where God shows up in humility when we're honest with others. Guys, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I'm dealing with. Would you worship God with me? We're really good at exalting God. We're really poor at being honest about ourselves. But when those two things come together, that's where God shows up. That's where we meet with God because our whole heart meets his heart in community with others because when you're seen, you're seen. When you're seen, you're known. And being seen, you can be loved. Realize David is honest about where he is in life. That scares the heck out of me. I can tell you, I want to be known, but I don't want to be known. I spent all last weekend with six guys who talked about our feelings for three days. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? It's horrible. It's this ministry called Tin Man. The reason we do it is we get so honest about our life because when you're doing it with people that don't matter, you can do it with the people that matter. And sometimes you need a community of people where there's there's nothing at stake. And we can get together and we spent two nights together talking through our feelings, what's going on. We confronted each other. Hey, when you said this, I felt like this. When you did this and you made fun of me, I felt rejected. We did that. I know it sounds horrible and it was. And I'll tell you, at the end of that, I was scared to death. And the reason I was scared to death is because a group of guys saw me and at the end of it, what we do is we look at each other. Oh man, and we said, I love you. I love you, I love you, scares the heck out of me. But see, when you're known, in that place of being known, you can be loved and you can be received. David understands that. And David's a warrior and a man after God's own heart. And hopefully someday, I could be more like David. So he goes on in verses four through 10 and he starts to explain the experience that he went through. And he says, I sought the Lord, verse four, And he answered me, he delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, their faces shall never be ashamed. Again, two words stick out, fear and shame. Now we tend to think of fear as anti-faith, and it can be. But fear is honesty about the dangers in life. When I get on a plane, I want that pilot to be a little fearful because he's got something valuable. He's got my life my family with him, when somebody walks into a situation and has no fear, it means they don't value what they have. And fear says there's something at stake. And fear can lead to faith and wisdom if we cry out to God. Because in our fear, we have this experience of God and now we have wisdom in life, fear is normal. Fear is a part of being human. The question is, where are you taking your fear? And then shame, I think there's this thing called healthy shame. Healthy shame is recognizing I have needs. Shame is the neediness feeling. It's recognizing that I'm dependent. I'm not independent. I need God and I need others. But so often we have fear around our needs. I don't know if I'm speaking to anyone. We have fear around our needs. I don't want anyone to know that I'm needy. You know what that's called? Narcissism. We usually think narcissism is just someone who's pompous and arrogant. No, a narcissist, someone says, I don't have any needs and I'm not gonna let anyone know that I'm needy. That's not David. And listen, that's not a man. That's not even human. That's the opposite of being human. You are created to need God and to need others. And David in his fear and shame, he's bringing it to God. And he makes three decisions in this passage. He says on the first hand, verse one, I'll bless the Lord. I'm not magnifying my fear, I'm gonna magnify God. Second, he says, I'm gonna seek the Lord, which is obedience. And then finally, he's got a testimony, I'm gonna teach others. Worship, obedience, discipleship. David invites others into his experience. I will bless the Lord, those who look to him, I love this word, verse five, are radiant. When you see that word radiant, you think of Exodus 34, I'm sure you do, that was in your head. Moses, right? Moses comes down the mountain. What happens? His face is radiant. Because there's something of God in Moses. And as we meet with God, there's something of God in us. And this word radiant is also used in the Old Testament to describe how a mother responds when she looks upon her children. It's an attitude and a disposition that comes from God gazing on his beauty, not just putting knowledge in our heads, but gazing upon who he is and magnifying, there's a radiance that comes into our life. And then he describes the situation he was in. This poor man, meaning David, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David had a confidence Not that his circumstances would change. He had a confidence that God was with him. The deliverance that he had wasn't just simply he was going to get out of a tight spot. His deliverance was that God was with him. Now, that's a different kind of deliverance. Because when we pray, we want our circumstances to change, and there's nothing wrong with praying about our life changing. But God, more than He wants your circumstances to change, He wants you to be simply with Him, to bring Him into the circumstances in life. And here's what David encountered, verse eight: Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. Those who lack Him fear. Uh, those who fear Him lack no good thing. Young lions suffer for want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It reminds me of what Paul says in the book of Philippians. Now, we often apply this to athletic adventures and anything difficult, I can do all things. You know how it goes, through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what's that verse about? It's about contentment in life. I can be content in plenty or in want, in joy or in sorrow, then that verse comes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As David is in this cave, I imagine he hears these grumbles. I don't know if you've been to Africa. You can join us. I don't know if you know. We're going to go see Armstrong. But if you've been to Africa and you've heard the lions, they have this kind of, have you ever heard that in the middle of the night? I can't do it well. This rumbling kind of sound, and he hears that. And he reminds himself that though the lions appear powerful, if they do not eat, they will be weak. And David found in the presence of the Lord the strength that he needed. He found the ability to be content in what he had. God met him there. So the first thing he does is to celebrate, me, celebrate with me. Second, he says, learn from me. Watch this in verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And here's the question we need to ask ourselves. What man is there who deserves life and loves many days that he may see good? The question is, what is the good life and how do we find it? Now, we all have an idea of how we could find the good life, maybe in comfort, Remove all difficult circumstances in my life. And David is explaining through this experience, I found the good life. You ready for it? This is what the good life consists of. This is how to get there. Verse 13, I need this. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursuit. You want a good life? Watch your words. I can have a foul mouth, especially when I'm angry at myself. My inner teenager shows up, you ever have that? My inner teenager shows up because he's protecting me, protecting that little Jason inside who was eight years old and rejected and set aside. This inner teenager shows up. And if you've been around me and I'm angry at myself and I'm frustrated, I don't, get, I don't have a good testimony. And what I notice in that is when foul words come out of my mouth, I feel foul and I act foul. Your words control your heart, your heart controls your words. They work together. Church, we live in a day and age where it's easy to speak slander against others, it's easy to take worldly ideas and think they're biblical and go around calling people names and looking out, these are the liberals, these are the conservatives, these are the woke, these are the unwoke. Those are not biblical terms. I'm not saying there aren't things we need to be concerned with, but that's not the language that comes from the heart of God, yet we speak it as if it's righteousness. It's not. What we're doing is we're slandering somebody. When there is slander coming out of your mouth, then you can treat that person however you want. How did the Nazis destroy the Jews? They started with their words, didn't they? Propaganda, here's who they are, here's what they look like, here's how we should fear them, here's what they've done. When you slander somebody, you can destroy somebody. How does God say we overcome evil? By slandering? No, by changing your words. Instead of cursing, we bless. You know why? That takes the presence of God. That takes awareness of the presence of God. And all of us do this, guys. All of us do this, I do this. I do it more to myself. I curse myself, condemn myself, and that's just as bad as cursing someone else. Because what you do to yourself, you give to others. The way we begin to change our life is watch your words. And from your words will come your life. Verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now why do we know that this is given to us really in a time of difficulty? See, David's going through a hard time, and this hard time was applied to the early church. That is, the early church was suffering under persecution and hardship under the Roman Empire, under the Emperor Nero, who was killing Christians and actually putting them on posts and lighting them on fire. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter actually quotes Psalm 34, and here's what he says. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Do not return insult for insult. Christian, return insult with blessing because to this we were called. This is the life of following Christ so that we might inherit a blessing. Because whoever would love life and see good days, where's the good life found? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord, it's against those who do evil, those who slander, those who curse, those who have words that destroy coming out of their mouth. How does he go on? Who's gonna harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your heart, instead, set apart Christ as Lord. Where did that come from? It came from our Savior. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's one of the hardest things to do. And because it's so hard, it requires the presence of God. Then in our fear, in our anxiety, we're inviting God in, not just to change our circumstances. God, change my words. What if this week you just spend some time reflecting on the words that you say and how those words are affecting your actions and the way you see life? If God can begin to change our words, he starts to change our hearts because here's where God shows up. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed, in spirit. Here's how Eugene Peterson translates that. If your heart is broken, and you, f- you will find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he will help you catch your breath. See, the brokenhearted, those are the hopeless, and the crushed in spirit are the helpless. God is attracted to our neediness because he created us to be needy. And we need to learn to bring our neediness to him. So David, first of all, he says, celebrate with me, guys. Learn from me now. Here's how we're gonna end. Who are the righteous? When you think of that term, we tend to think the righteous are those that are just, they're, they're killing life, right? They're getting it right, they're doing it right. Their words are perfect, their life is together. That's not how David describes righteousness. Now, righteousness does mean to do right. But to be righteous is more than getting it right. Instead, I want you to notice how David defines where righteousness or holiness is found. Watch this as we look down in verse 15. He says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and their ears are attentive towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off their memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, The Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. What defines righteousness here? Did you notice it twice? The difference between the wicked and the righteous is the righteous cry out to God, the wicked won't. How often do we walk in the way of the wicked as believers? I got this. I don't need help. I don't need to confess my life to my brother. I can handle it on my own. Righteousness means crying out to God. It means saying, I need you. See, that's what changes your words, and that's what changes your heart. But see, if we deny our neediness, we deny our dependency, that's the way of wickedness. That's what leads to slander. That's what leads to a life that's incongruent with God, but what leads to a life that's in congruency with God to the fruit of the Spirit is dependency, and a need for God. And where does God bring our righteousness through? Through affliction. He shows up in our suffering. Watch what he says as we go through verses 19 through 22. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So what David's praying is not, hey, everything's gonna go perfectly in my life, but the Lord delivers them from them all. And what's the difference? He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Notice the affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Why does affliction, which notice it hits the righteous and the wicked, right? We don't, we're not gonna escape it. Following God's not gonna take away the difficulties of life. But, What affliction does is it reveals the children of God. How do we know? Not one of his bones was broken. You know who that was applied to? Jesus. Now, David didn't know that. David was simply saying, I made it. It's amazing. I should have some broken bones. But see, In the story of the Exodus, there was this Passover lamb. And one of the aspects of respecting the lamb is you wouldn't break any of the bones of the lamb. And that verse was applied to Jesus in John chapter 19. It says, for these things took place and the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. Jesus was delivered, but he was delivered through affliction. Why? In his affliction, he cried out to God. What made him righteous? Righteous. In his affliction, he cried out to God. What makes us righteous? In our affliction, we cry out to God. And in our affliction, when we cry out to God, holiness is birthed. I need you, help me with my words. God, there's all this stuff going on. I'm fearful, I'm anxious, I'm watching programs that make me anxious. (laughs) I need you. Do you see what righteousness is, what holiness is? It's getting close to the one who is holy. And it's bringing our whole self to God, just as Jesus was delivered to affliction. That didn't mean that life was easy, but on the third day, God raised him from the dead victorious because he knew where his dependency was found. Do we know where that dependency is found? And are we willing to be honest enough before God and each other to say, I need him. I need him. And guys, I can say to you, I I need him. And I need to be surrounded by men and women who are honest about life. Because I can't reproduce your talents. I can't reproduce your success. But I can follow your humility. You know what I mean? And so often we come to church and we're like, I can't live like that guy. I can't be like that woman. But see, what has made them who they are is their humility before God. And that's something we can do together. And one of the ways we do that is by celebrating communion. It's an opportunity for us to bring our concerns, our needs to the Father. And if you haven't grabbed the elements before you came in, I want to encourage you to do that. They're available up front. They're also available in the back. I encourage you to grab those elements. We're going to hold them together. And I don't know what God's stirred up in you. But it's an opportunity for us simply to bring those needs to him. And after the service, after we, as we stand, the prayer team's gonna be available up front. If there's anything going on in your life, guys, please take the opportunity to bring it before a group of people who care. Let's spend some time in reflection together. Father, I think of these words that Paul has spoken. I've learned the secret of being contempt. Not contempt, but content. In plenty or in want, in joy or in sorrow. I find contentment. I can find that I do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Jesus, strengthen us. We need your power, your presence to renew us, to change us. We need your strength where you've created our need so that we might experience and worship you. In the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, He gave thanks, he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took a cup. So this cup, it represents the new covenant that is established in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns.